Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can um, remain standing in the house of the Lord. Um, so we, we embarked upon a series a couple of weeks ago. Um, encourage who? Yourself. And so uh, we kind of rolled out eight scripture passages. Um, they're really just singular one-off verses, uh, hopefully digestible that we can just really commit to memory um, and, and really use those things to really encourage our souls as we kind of navigate this world um, um, awaiting to be fully uh, uh, reigning with our king. And so we got eight scriptures. I want everybody to put their bulletins down. I don't want you to read them unless you do not know this verse. And if you do not know this verse, and if you've never heard Psalms 32, 8 at all, then you just, you, you, you get your bulletin. And if you are visitors and you had no idea we're doing this, you get your bulletin, friend, and you read with all the gusto and might that is within you. Um, but um, I called the Allens up here because um, this verse has kind of been near and dear to them. And uh, not to put them on the spot, you know what I'm saying? Not to put them on the spot. Never, but this verse is never on the spot. No. Nobody Ever. just called you to lead worship when you Didn't came get up here to read scripture. Didn't get a drink of water before I got up here. Had to nobody, <laughs> nobody clear the phlegm out my throat. <coughs> oh. Can I go the highest? I'm Amen. just kidding. Amen. Um, so with all that being said, um, let's just close our eyes for a second. And um, I'm going to ask Carly and Terrence to give us Psalms 32, 8 twice. And when we catch up with where they are, we can join in with them. Amen? All right. Whenever y'all ready. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. Ready? I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. Psalms 32 and 8. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, I want to, um, before we really, really get into the word, I just wanted to make sure that we're going to have some extra worshipers in here with us today. And um, I want to make sure that you know that those extra worshipers are welcome. And so when you hear... um, you know, some cooing, some extra cooing, or when you hear, give me my pin back, or whatever that may be, um, our little friends are welcome in here with us, aren't they? They are not a burden to us, are they? Man, and you know what, if we have to to sacrifice a little bit um, just so that we can help habitualize them and get them ready to be big worshipers uh, one day, to God be the glory, amen? Amen, 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 amen. So with all that being said, um, we are in our series. This is the first 
um, verse that we have. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. All right? Um, so let me refresh you real quickly on um, just how things go. You got eight verses that come out to you Monday before lunchtime. Um, and what we want to do is want to commit those to memory. You've got this first iteration. On tomorrow, I'll actually give you all the rest of the verses too. So you can just be soaking in as much of them as you want to. We don't just leave you to memorize the verses. We actually give you a weekly guide because we want these verses to saturate your soul because we want these verses to be the anchors in your soul so you can sing in the middle of the storm, right? Because guess what? You could be like Dick Van Dyke and singing in the rain. Or I don't know who the brother is, but it sounds good to me. So just take it. Take my word for it, right? But if you don't have anything to sing about, you're going to be floating with the rest of the tempest to and fro. Hey, but it's only when you have your souls anchored in the Lord and his word that you can truly have joy in the middle of any circumstance. Amen, somebody, right? Um, so... On Mondays, we usually will introduce a verse. We'll ask you to go ahead and start memorizing it um, and committing that thing to memory. And then Tuesday or thereabouts, we'll ask you to meditate. We'll give you a couple prompts so you can start journaling on that scripture. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to let that thing wash into your soul deeply. Then we ask you to share it. Find somebody, your husband, your children, your spouse, your neighbor. Hey, listen, I just want to tell you something. We've been uh, memorizing this verse at our church. And I just want to tell you, I don't know what you're going through, but the Bible says that there is a loving God with his eye on you who will teach you and instruct you. How many of y'all have been encouraging people with that verse over the past couple of weeks? Man, that thing's been a blessing to me and to other people. So we share it. Then we want to pray it. We want to pray these truths deeply and all the things and the implications that they mean for us. And then we'll just send out a worship guide so that you can be singing over it. Um, my favorite over the past week or two, was this guide me, oh, thou great Jehovah, was that this week or was that the other week? Uh, Pilgrim through this barren land, I am weak, but thou art mighty. And I think it's hold me with that mighty hand. He's a guide today. So as we start this journey, Psalms 32 and 8, we learn about this instructor, we learn about this teacher, we learn about this counselor. I think maybe we just first start with the question, just a problem, who is God, right? For all you visitors in here and all the people, maybe you're kind of on the fence about the Jesus thing or the Christian God, and, and maybe you just have a general notion of what God purports or claims to be. Let me just maybe just pontificate with you, right? So if we were new to the God thing or to the Bible thing, maybe you would just start with, well, God is some kind of all-powerful, almighty, uh, uh, um, all-knowing creature and sustainer of the world. And to that, I would say the Bible, the God of the Bible checks all those boxes. But what we are focusing on today is not the, uh, the, the, the uh, omnipotence of God. We're not necessarily focused on the fact that, you know, he's all powerful and he's sustaining all those things. I want to zoom the camera lens a little tighter in today. And by the time we get done preaching this word, I want you to know this, that the God of this Bible says that he is a loving guide to all those who put their faith in him. 
Maybe you got the big categories already checked. Who created all these things God did, right? And how are all these atoms and protons and neutrons holding together? And maybe you got God, all that. But do you today, who believe all those grandiose things about God, do you believe that if your faith is in him, you have a loving God who delights in giving you counsel? That's what I want to know today. So we start with Psalms 32. It's a very familiar psalm, Psalm of David. And it really is kind of broken up into these kind of four major parts. It's, it's really, you know, the first four verses, right? It's the, the, the consequences of living in and concealing sin. David, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Uh, he feels these sins kind of in his bones, right? And, and you kind of get to verse 5 where it just talked about what the only kind of forgiven sin is acknowledged sin. This is not my sermon, but I thought I'd just drive by to tell you that real quick. Anybody want to praise God that he's a forgiver? Well, let me just tell you this much. We can't forgive what ain't acknowledged. You can get the forgiveness. The blood will never lose its power. But unless you acknowledge it, we don't have that forgiveness. And so our psalmist David, he understands this. Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven because this is what I did. I finally got tired of concealing secret sin in my body and feeling the weight of it. And I confessed those things and I got those things forgiven. That's what verse 5 says. Then 6 and 7 just kind of talks about the idea of just praying and communicating to God and, and, and living in communication and fellowship with this God who's a protector, a preserver, a shield, and a shelter, right? The, this God who's a hiding place, I believe the psalmist would say. I love it. And then verses kind of 9 and 10, uh, I'm skipping the verse where we'll deal with. I'm just trying to tell you what sandwiches it. Verse 9 and 10 kind of starts talking about uh, the wicked. And it just kind of puts a paradox in between the way and the conditions that the wicked have to kind of navigate through life. It starts talking about, hey, verse 9, don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding. Everybody say the mule. How many of y'all got mules out there? We got to get some mules. And hold my, somebody need to hold my mule. I'm sorry, man. I'm, Went another place, right? Went another place, right? But it says, don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding. They have to be controlled by the bit and the bridle, or they will not come to you. Hmm. So we kind of start seeing that, hey, man, there, there's a condition of a man who really has no kind of understanding, and they have to be controlled. But guess what comes before that verse warning about people who are kind of clueless and wayward and needing to be controlled? It's the encouragement that you have today before you, the one that Terrence and Carly just shared with us, that those who have their trust in Yahweh don't have to live like mules who need to be controlled with bits and bridles. They have a loving God who will instruct them and teach them and counsel them. What you have before you is a blessing that is supposed to attend the people who have placed their faith in Jesus, that you have a counselor and a guide. So, let's break it apart. First, he says, I will. Everybody say, I. I. Not they. I will. I will do something. And it's this idea of guidance, which is a consistent biblical 
precedent and promise. Isaiah 58 and 11, the Lord will guide you always. John 16, 13, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will do what? Guide you into all truth, right? This is a biblical promise to those people who have placed their faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. You have a God. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got a God? Turn to your other neighbor and say, you got a teacher. You got a counselor. Amen. But it's not just, this is not just something kind of ambiguous or anonymous, something that God says will happen and, and you know, we'll have guidance somewhere, right? You know what? Uh, we, we went to all kind of freshman orientations, middle school orientations, kindergarten, elementary orientations. I felt really bad about how far I got my kids spread out. I'm in middle school, elementary school, and high school. I didn't even think about that till now. We got the whole thing covered until I met somebody, Gina, the traffic guard before me. He's got a college student and a newborn. I was like, good God Almighty, brother. <laughs> Hallelujah. Anyhow, I'll take my middle school, high school, and elementary. That is all day long, right? And so, you know, in these orientations, you hear all these stories about, hey, you know what, and little Johnny, and they put it in the back of the cubby, and don't you worry, mom and dad, um, somebody's going to help them, you know, and just, okay, and you know, you drop your baby off to school, and you just hope somebody's going to guide them, right? But they never tell you who. Woo! But Psalms 32 and 8 don't just say somebody, anybody going to guide you. Psalm 32 and 8 says there's a personal guide. It's a personal instructor. It's God himself, the same one who knelt down in the clay himself and formed you and said you were fearfully and wonderfully made. He's not assigning it to the angels. He's not assigning it to the prophets. He says, I will guide those who put their faith in me. I want to take you out the clouds. I want to take you more personal today. See, it's easy maybe to sub subscribe to some of those big lofty things. And you know what? We got to be careful. We call some of that theism, right? This kind of general stuff you could believe about a God, but not specific stuff you believe about a God who loves you. He says, he's your God. He's not delegating. I'm going to get you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to instruct you. Let's talk about guidance gets these three words that signal us to what guidance kind of looks like. He gives the first one, I will instruct you. Just kind of means to give a proper understanding or wisdom. I just, in my own Tim Johnson definition, I think maybe it's God telling us he's going to be there to help us understand the world, the fallen world around us. I think that's a part of the guidance that he gives. When he says he teaches, means that the Hebrew means that he will direct us. And I think what we need most at times is to understand our world, what's happening, and we need to understand how to navigate it, right? When God says he will teach you, I do believe he is saying that he will teach you how to navigate the fallen world in which you live in. Can I get an amen, somebody? He says, I will counsel you with my loving eye. That Hebrew word means to advise or to consult. I, I think maybe in my Holy Ghost imagination, I think part of this promise is the idea that God himself will help us um, not only understand the world we live in, not only understand how to navigate it, but maybe how to handle our own souls, our own inner turmoil, our own brokenness, the labyrinth that exists in here. 
Can I, just, can I get a witness somebody who knows, listen, y'all, you be willing to say, you don't want to know what's going on in here and in here. It's wild. You don't know what it takes to get out of bed in the morning. You don't know what it takes to raise a hallelujah. Let me just tell you, there's a whole lot of Holy Spirit got to be helping me and teaching me and counseling me in my inner time. Amen, somebody. I know him as a counselor. As a matter of fact, most, I would say most modern professionals would say that counseling kind of started as a profession in the 1900s. And it's kind of when psychologists and the medical professionals try to understand the factors that cause low moods and depression and how it could be treated, right? And so as a profession, that thing came together around 18th, 19th century, right? But according to Psalms 32 and 8, that might have been when the Western world got a hold of counseling. But my God's been counseling for a mighty long time. As a matter of fact, he authored counseling. And you don't ever need an appointment. And you don't need no money. And he himself will counsel you always. So, Pastor Tim, where is God instructing us? Where is he teaching us? Where is he counseling us? What's the end? Well, this is not national treasure. It's not Nick Cage. The Lord is not leading us to buried treasure somewhere. But you could write this down. I forgot to put it up there. I think it's helpful. I think the Lord will guide you, according to Scripture, to truth. The Lord will guide you to salvation. The Lord will guide you to righteousness. The Lord will guide you to spiritual vitality. And the Lord will guide you to Christ's glory. Those things which result in the glory of of the risen king. I'll give it to you one more time. The Lord will guide you to truth. The Lord will guide you to salvation. The Lord will guide you to righteousness. The Lord will guide you to spiritual vitality. And the Lord will guide you to Christ's glory. According to Psalms 32 and 8, he's committed to leading you to those ends. You need to know that. He is committed to leading you to those ends. And I think what Psalms 38 is saying to us is that he's committed to leading us to those things by beginning and maintaining a conversational relationship with us. This is interpersonal. This is not read a book and figure it out. This is not, I've already told you, go work it out. This is, hey, when you come to me and believe in me in faith, you are united to me. In the same way that two people become one flesh, right? And we begin down a journey together. Everybody say together. And so I want to help us understand just a little bit more about how this conversational and communication relationship works with the Lord. Um, let me give you three foundational doctrines for divine communication. It's really, really important for you to kind of understand and help navigate. First of all, let's just talk about revelation, all right? So, obviously, there is us. There's two, 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 two. I just couldn't find the word, so it's two. It's us and God. Amen. It's us and God. Somewhere in there, right? It's us and God, right? And so, essentially, how does God uh, communicate uh, with men created in his image? 
Well, first, you need to understand that we would know nothing about God and his word unless he disclosed it to us. Nothing. You couldn't search it. You couldn't study it unless God chose to write himself into the play, into the script. We would know nothing about him. And so we call this the process between that, 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 that who, what we know about God and man, we call this process revelation, right? According to uh, Dr. Bill McRae, he has these awesome definitions that I really just want to give to you, hopefully for your blessing. Basically, revelation is that which bridges the gap from a thought in the mind of God to a thought in the mind of the authors of the word of God. God's revelation is making known to men what was previously unknown to them, right? And so we would absolutely say that the, one of the primary ways you can talk with God is through his word, right? Because that world has been revealed to us. God has bridged that gap through revelation. Now, everybody say, uh, complete. So the revelation... God's word to us is complete. There will not be a 67th book added to the canon, right? We don't kind of jam and jive with that. This is important for us as we understand communication when we kind of have um, uh, uh, certain, uh, not, I wouldn't say denomination, but with certain faith groups who might be Christian adjacent, but they have other books that we don't believe have made it through the inscripturation process. And so, hey, if someone spoke to y'all in 1982 while you were at the Prince concert, um, whatever you felt like God said in the middle of purple rain, we will not treat it as the Word of God. And that little story you tell about somebody sitting under the apple tree and they wrote down on pine cones these amazing things about how we ought to treat each other and these virtues, that is not the Word of God. And so when you date a joker who says, hey, I'm down with the Christian stuff too, but why don't we read a little bit from this? You better say, hey, my pastor said that ain't the Word of God. Can I get an amen, somebody? All right, now I'm just helping you now. We believe the revelation is complete. The revelation is we have the word of God. Finito. Dono. Let's go to inspiration. So we see how God gets his thoughts into man, right? He reveals it through his word. And how did it become scripture, right? We call this inspiration, right? How... What comes into the human gets now into Scripture. Dr. Charles Ryrie says, Inspiration is God superintending the human authors so that, they, that using their own, their own individual personalities, um, oh, I got a double, they composed and recorded without error his revelation in the words of the original manuscripts. So we believe something really cool happened is that without changing Paul, without changing John, without changing James, Isaiah, and all the prophets, without altering them, we, Paul made up a word in his epistles. God breathed, right? He literally gave them the words, and they recorded it as it was given to them, right? We call that inspiration. Now, here's where we'll deal a little more heavily, because I believe this is the epic that we're living in. And I also believe that this is probably the most abused space and probably the most confusing space. 
and we call it illumination. How do we get the truth into your heart? We understand how God gets his thoughts into man, and we understand how man, men, 40 different authors, over 1,600 different years, got their thoughts breathed into them from God into paper. We understand how that process works, called inspiration. But now, how does the truth get into our heart? McRae says, illumination then is that method used by the Holy Spirit to shed divine light upon all seeking men as they look into the Word of God. Illumination refers to God's work in the lives of believers to make us able to believe and understand the words of the Bible. I love one author that I was reading said, basically, if it were not for the Holy Spirit, this is just a dead book. This is Shakespeare. This is the Greek Odyssey. This is Little Women, whatever you want it to be. It's just another book unless the Holy Spirit illumines your mind to actually believe this as the inerrant, authoritative Word of God. Maybe here's a good litmus test to see where you're at. If you don't believe this to be the Word of God, and you call yourself a Christian, we got to park the bus. Because what we believe or foundational aspect of your regeneration is the Holy Spirit reaches into your heart, convinces you that you actually are a sinner in need of a Savior, that the way you are living is somehow beneath where you are supposed to, and you yearn for truth, and you find it in the person and the words of Jesus. You don't actually believe these are his words, and you don't actually believe him. And I know we're in the age where we got a whole bunch of armchair, Google and Wikipedia theologians. Let me just stop you as you deconstructing and constructing and all what you're doing now. If you're going to do it, do it with people who have done it. But don't go to peanutbutterjelly.com and read something about the Bible and think you empirically have now solved inscripturation. You know, it's, it's men and women who spend hundreds of years just trying to comb through the authenticity of Isaiah. And you spend one night upset at God and now you're going to prove that the Bible's wrong because you read it on Facebook? Don't, no, come on, man. Just logically, if we're going to do it right, maybe you do end up saying, man, that ain't the word of God. Amen. Well, do it right. Pay the tax. Put in the work. I'm mad at God. See, it was all false anyway. Because your auntie said so? Come on now. Sorry, I digress. Once again, the Bible tells us, in our understanding theology of depravity that our, everything is fallen in us, our will, our emotions, our mind, that we couldn't even choose to make Jesus our Lord unless the Holy Spirit illumined us to the truth. Now, when you have, let's talk about this real quick. The revelation is what? We're going to get 72 books in here at some point? It's complete. Now, here's where we, this is why we're just taking our time working through a little vocabulary, because I just want to help you explain yourself sometimes. When you are in your word, 
and you got that Keurig cup, and you know if you got that dark magic like Pastor Tim, you know what I'm saying, you're drinking that dark magic with at least 24 ounces of cream and sugar in there. I put, I put at least a half cup of cream, and don't worry, I balance it out with sweet and low. Bang. You know what I'm saying? I got the calories in the cream, but you know I just get zero calories sweetener. Anyway. So you're sitting there, and man, you're in your word, and you know you got, you know, your upper room devotional. You got Jesus calling. You got David Tripp, morning mercies, and man, the word is good that morning. And, and, and you know, all of a sudden, something rocks your heart. Can y'all imagine Tammy sitting there and something rocking her heart? Hey, I want to thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Glory. So something rock you, right? Something get you real good in there, right? Now, do you have a new revelation? No. What you have is just an illumination. What the Spirit does is he magnifies and intensifies and applies the truth of the existing revelation to our hearts. And sometimes that thing just get good, don't it? Mm -mm. Now, what you don't need to do is find you a publisher and write a 67 book. That's what you don't need to do, okay? But man, we ought to expect if you have the relationship, the conversational relationship that is promised to us, according to Psalms 32, you ought to have moments where that thing just gets mm -mm good. Mm. Okay, can I just tell you what I was reading? Come on, when the last time, y'all? Like, I know you have covertly come into God's household of faith, and now we build community around our hobbies. We build community around our age and stage. We build community around where we live. But how many of us are still building community? Man, can I just tell you what God was speaking to me? Y'all got to be careful now. Our little groups just turn into a whole bunch of stuff, and ain't, whole, ain't a whole lot of encouragement through Scripture coming through. We got to be careful. Amen, lights and walls. I'm sorry. So, when you have a deep illumination, is that revelation? No. Has God spoken to you? Yes. Yes, he has. But it's not new revelation, Right? And so, I need to tell you real quick that illumination is so, so vital. It is so super important, especially to our modern landscape of Christianity. Um, listen, there's a lot of Christians who prefer to pit the revelation and inspiration against illumination, right? They're just going to read the revealed word, and they will never even mention or talk about, hey, man, let me tell you what God is speaking to me, or they only speak of it in reference to what a verse says or whatever. Let me just give you this from Dallas Willard. He just says, the Bible is a finite written record of a saving truth spoken by the infinite living God, and it reliably fixes the boundaries of everything he will ever say to humankind. Basically, hey, the Bible is the standard. It is God's word, and it forms the contours of what God will say to, will illuminate to us. The revealed word is set, but God's illumination to our heart is ongoing. So we ought often to be talking about what God is illuminating to our hearts, and it ought to all be fitting in the box of God's word. But so many people prefer one to the other. 
Some of us come from some crazy spaces where we get a whole lot of illumination that people call revelation. And you know what? God said that we only going to wear white on September. Hmm. Well, hold on now. And on the other side, if anybody says anything that's not chapter verse, oh, I, thank you, sister, but uh, I, nope. I think they got to work in tandem. And I think I would just want to challenge you a little more that if you take the spirit away from individually walking with every blood-bought believer and illuminating to them the truth, leading them and guiding them, then you no longer have Christianity. Thank you, sister. Let me just say it one more time. I want to scare you because it's true. If you take the Holy Spirit who has been given to us to lead us and to guide us actively right now into God's truth, if you take him away from the equation, you do not have Christianity anymore. If all you have is just this, and you do not have the work of the Spirit guiding you, even when you're not reading this, you don't have Christianity. So what do we do? I just want to close up. We recently did a book study. We read Hearing God by Dallas Willard. I could not commend to you stronger, a better book, dealing with this space, just what it looks like to walk with God and to know that he's there to lead you and to guide you. It's the most faithful thing concerning the subject I've ever read. Just read a couple passages about the thesis. Just bear with me. It says, first, we must provide believers with a clear understanding and a confident, practical orientation toward God's way of guiding us and communicating with us. He goes on to say that we cannot abandon faith in our ability to hear from God. We cannot abandon our faith in illumination. To abandon this is to abandon the reality of a personal relationship with God, and that we must not ever do. Our hearts and minds as well as the realities of the Christian tradition stand against it. He says, when we're struggling in our hearing of God or in that space, he says, our failure to hear God has its deepest roots in a failure to understand and accept and grow into a conversational relationship with God, the sort of relationship suited to friends who are mature personalities in a shared enterprise, no matter how different they may be in other respects. Lastly, we must never forget that God speaking to us is intended to develop into an intelligent, freely cooperative relationship between mature people who love each other with the richness of genuine agape love. We must therefore make it our primary goal not to just hear the voice of God, but to be mature people in a loving relationship with him. You know, what's going to happen? We leave here. I'm going to hug as many of y'all as I possibly can. I'm going to put some gum in my mouth first. You know, I do that. I try to do that for I try to do that for you. You know what I'm saying? Preacher breath. Get, 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 but I'm going to hug all y'all I can. We're going to laugh. Our children going to run around. They're going to tackle each other and all that kind of stuff. And then Gina's going to take off and go home. And then I'm going to go home. And then, you know, inevitably, there's the, the worst fights that Gina and I get into are the food fights. 
Hey, babe, what you want to eat? I don't know. Yes, you do. <laughs> now, if I get in the car and I just say, hey, babe, uh, you know, I just, hey, I'll pick up food. She's like, okay, babe. Now, if I go to, um, uh, 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 what's the, what's the um, Nagasaki and get her some sushi rolls, you know what I'm saying? Or if I go to my favorite Mexican spot on Summer Avenue, Picoso's, to my joint. I pull up on Picoso and I tell Gina, baby, I'm going to get you some enchiladas with the red sauce and, you know, boom, boom, bam, with all the veggies. And I show up at the house with that food, that might come back in my face. Because what happens over 17 years is sometimes questions don't even need to be asked, do they? <laughs> As we grow and mature in our relationship with the Lord Jesus, what Dallas says emphatically is as you walk in a conversational relationship with God, you should not expect, nor is it promised to you, turn-by-turn -turn navigation. So if your expectation is, God's going to tell me to go right. God's going to tell me to say this word. And God's going to tell me to pick up the pen. No. No. God does not care what color underwear you're going to put on tomorrow. He has given it to you, baby. Work it out. Work it out. That's not what that is. But what happens over time is as you grow into loving relationship and not robotic, you are walking with your friend on a journey. And you'll know. There's so many cues. I am I'm a voluntary traffic guard going on my fifth year. And I was telling my principal friend that I missed her because she was out. And uh, I said, you know what? I miss you. I'm getting used to a new person. I said, man, you know, I can tell when you start batting your left eye like this, I already know to blow my whistle. We just got the cues. We got chemistry. You understand what I'm saying? What happens over time is you and God develop chemistry. And you begin to know when he's speaking. You know when he's saying speed up. You know when he's chastising you with a loving hand, say, hey, you were wrong for that. Hey, you know when he's telling you to dig in, you begin to develop the cues. So Willa goes on to say that we may mistakenly think that if God spoke to us, we would automatically know who is speaking without having to learn, but that is simply a mistake. And one of the most harmful mistakes we can make for those trying to hear God's voice. It leaves us totally at the mercy of any stray ideas we have picked up about God speaking, what God speaking is like. To confidently distinguish and recognize his voice as his voice, that ability comes only with what? Let me just encourage you. Over time, if you stay with it, you will know when the master your loving friend is speaking to you. I'm landing my plane with this, that I was raised kind of charismatic. So we, we kind of had an assumption that everybody truly has not just a personal debt forgiven, but a personal relationship. 
That's an expectation you come in there. Girl, what you been hearing from God? Oh, girl, I mean, I heard, that's, every service I went to, everybody was hearing from God. That's just kind of was the expectation, right? Good, bad, hit or miss. Then I got discipled into more of a reformed conservative space. And I remember I had some big decisions to make. Could have been regarding Memphis. And my, my big PCA dude, six foot nine dude, he sat me down. He said, Tim, this is how we need to make decisions. He says, hey, man, I would advise you to follow this rubric, that when you make decisions, they need to be uh, internal and doubly external. What he was saying to me was, he's like, hey, man, the external factors are there should be some Christian leader in your life who should be speaking in, the wise counsel should be speaking into that situation. Is this kind of some kind of blatant sin that's involved here or greed or pride or something that shouldn't happen or some, some brother or sister in the Lord who is a believer who externally can look at your situation and they can speak in, right? But then he says it needs to be internal. And that was my big conservative uh, reform brother taking me into some divine communication. He's taking me into some illumination. Tim, you need to have some impression of the Holy Spirit whether or not you should marry that person. You need to. We could speak in externally, but internally, something from God has got to be prompting you to stay or to go. And what I'm telling you as your pastor, we need to spend more time in this space discipling you, walking with you as you try to help discern the voice of God in your life on a day-to-day -day basis. Instead of we just, we preach at you and then we just turn you loose. I hope they figure it out. We're not going to do that here. We might get it wrong sometimes, but we're going to try to step into that space and help you understand and discern the voice of God in your life. Last quote. This guy, Frederick B. Meyer, he says this, that God's impressions within and his word without are always corroborated by his providence around. And we should quietly wait until those three focus into one point. If you do not know what you ought to do, stand still until you do. And when the time comes for action circumstances like glowworms will sparkle along your path, and you will be sure that you are right. When God's three witnesses concur that you could, be, you, that you could not be sure though an angel beckoned you on. What are these three witnesses? Many theologians would nickname these the three lights. Did I give these to you, Sarah? I probably did. I'm so sorry. You could write it down. These three lights. Circumstances or God's providence. If your house is burning, maybe the Lord is not saying it's a good time to sell it. It's just providence. It's just circumstance, right? The impressions of the Spirit. The still, small voice. Man, my spirit just doesn't feel settled. I was trying to help somebody work through something, and they were like, Pastor Tim, I don't, I don't know if I should do it. And, you know, it seems like everything points to that I should do it, but I'm just still, I, I'm still a little confused. I said, no, let me give you some new life. I think your spirit's just not settled yet, and that's okay. And if your spirit ain't settled, don't move. Impressions of the spirit. 
And last but not least, the anchor, the word of God. You got to make the circumstances and the providence of life, the impressions that you think you could be feeling from the spirit. Hey, give that car to that such and such. That's my, that's our backup car. We view and interpret all of that through the revealed world. Hey, go approach that lady and ask her. She'd like to get some apple fritters from Gibson Donuts. She's wearing a wedding ring. Don't do it. As you continue to pursue and grow in your conversational relationship with Jesus, check your motives. It's one thing Willard is so good at. It says many people, they seek to hear God solely as a device for obtaining their own safety, comfort, and sense of being righteous. Some people just want to have a conversational relationship with God so they can know the future. Some people, Willard says, just want to have a conversational relationship with God. They want a teacher and an instructor and a counselor. Why? Just so that they don't have to be responsible for their own actions and obedience. Should I go into work today even though I'm not sick and I was about to give him a sick note? You don't need to pray about that. That's lying. It's just lying. It's dishonest, right? Some people want the turn-by-turn stuff so they can abdicate their response. Dang, God told me to slap them. I didn't want to slap them. I didn't even want to slap them, but God told me. No, no, we don't do that. God wants to teach you and instruct you with his loving eye on you. And as we come to the table, you should think about this, that if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you get the benefits of having this teacher, this guide, this counselor. And the last part of 32 says his loving eye is on you. And how do we know that God's loving eye is on us? It's because his loving body was on the cross. God's not trying to lead you to get something out of you that's not for your good. He's not trying to chastise you, not trying to use you like a robot. When the Bible says he genuinely loves you, he loves you. And as they were singing about the reckless love of God and what we deserve versus what we don't deserve, all I could think about as I was getting ready to come up here is like, man, you know what? We actually, you know when you get between Oxford, Mississippi, and, you know, uh, uh, South Haven, and it's just like your reception on your phone just ain't no bars. It's just nothing on 55, just nothing. Nothing. We deserve to navigate this broken world with no compass. That's what you deserve. But because God is rich in mercy, and he loves you, that part of the benefits 
of coming to him and acknowledging, man, I don't know what I'm doing. And as a matter of fact, I've been doing this way the wrong way against you. And I've not cared, God, what you had to say about my life. Part of the benefits of acknowledging that and, and handing over the controls of your life back to him is you get the guide. And I want to invite you today, if you don't know Jesus... There's not a low, another friend like the lowly Jesus. And he will guide until the day you die. Would you trust him today?